Well, it is great to be with you on this Sunday. As you know, I am not Pastor Rod, as he is away with his family, um, celebrating the holidays together, and I pray that they will have a great time together uh, as they do celebrate uh, together as a family. And as we begin to uh, begin our morning, I want to encourage you to find your Bibles and get them ready. Uh, we're going to be in First Peter again, First uh, Peter one verses thirteen through nineteen, and I will stay there until uh, we finish the book. Um, so rather than kind of jump around, we'll just be continue on in our study of First Peter. And as always, we. Uh, ask that we stand together as we look at God's Word. Uh, and again, we want to give reverence to His Word. So will you please stand with me wherever you're at, and let's look at First um, Peter 1, 13-19. It says, Therefore, prepare your mind for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judge, judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb, uh, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Father, again, we thank you that we can open your word. We ask that you would help us to grow from your word, that we would be different. I pray that you help me in my um, speaking and your proclamation of your word, that it will be clear, it will be understandable, that it would be about you and not about me. I thank you again for every opportunity to be your mouthpiece, though imperfect in my abilities, but yet your word is perfect, and we can dream and we can grow because of what your word has to say to each of us. May we be different because of what your word has said, and may we be the people you've called us to be in everything in which we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again. First Peter was written to believers who were living in Rome because of the mounting persecution and mistreatment they have fled from um, they have fled and they are now in exile they have lived through the burning of rome which was called the great fire they have witnessed the turning and rejection of friends and family as they were charged with the burning of rome and its destruction Although it was not true, the Roman Empire placed <clears throat> Nero placed the blame on the Christians for destroying their great city. So to save the lives of their family and their loved ones, many Christians have fled from Rome. 
For they have seen others tortured, burned at the stake, and even thrown into the pit with wild beasts. But Peter's response to these believers is not focused on what has happened to them by the hands of Nero or even others. He focuses on the remembering what was given to them from Christ. Not on how they have been mistreated by the government or family members or even friends. Peter reminds them of this great imperishable salvation they have been given. This salvation was obtained by the blood of the resurrected Savior who rose from the dead, giving them a living hope. Although at the moment, they may not be feeling very hopeful because they are fleeing for their lives. Peter reminds them that this hope is their great inheritance. This hope is so valuable that it is preserved for them by God. Peter tells them to rejoice even though they are experiencing distress on many levels and in many ways. He says their faith is being tested. It is being perfected. And he says it will one day be found to bring praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says that this perfection of their faith is more valuable, he says, than the finest of gold. Peter tells them that this salvation is they are experienced. He says it was prophesied by their own prophets. He says their prophets searched diligently trying to understand what was to take place. But they understood that it was not for their particular time. It was for theirs. And I would say it is for ours as well. He says this salvation was so great that the angels longed to understand it. What a remarkable salvation these believers have. And we have this salvation as well because of the work of Christ. In the midst of this season of hardship, Peter tells them to rejoice. You see, it is hard to rejoice in the middle of life's most challenging seasons. But this is what Peter tells his readers to do. Because of this great salvation, which no one can take from you, Peter says it's time to prepare for battle. But this is not an ordinary battle that we might think of. This battle lies in our hearts and in the way we think. My proposition for today is this. In our fight to be holy, we must not only train our bodies, but our minds as well. My first point is girding up your mind. Now, I use the word girding. If you looked at the New King James Version, 
it says to gird up the loins of your mind. But I like the idea of girding because it means to secure what is loose in us. What is loosened? So verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the sports that I have been fascinated by is boxing. Now, personally, I have never boxed. In fact, I've never really been in a fight. But the idea of being able to defend yourself as other persons is trying to knock your head off has always been very interesting to me. What does it take to be a good boxer? So I looked up uh, what they can consider some of the greatest boxers' matches, and this is what I found. And please excuse me if I say the ra- names wrong, but Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier in 1971. Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearn in 1985. Mickey Ward and Ontario Gotti in 2002. Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman in 1974. And they didn't list them in the right order, meaning that it went chronologically, but they listed them as they considered to be what were the best or the greatest fights? Aaron Pryor versus Alexei Aguerio in 1982. Julius Caesar Chavez versus uh, Medrick Taylor in 1990. Eric Morales and Marco Antonio Barrera in 2005. George Foreman versus Ron Lai in 1976. Diego Corrales versus Jose Luis Costello in 2005. Sugar Ray Leonard versus Thomas Hearns in 1981. Now, you may not have noted, but last month, uh, Mike Tyson fought Roy Jones Jr. on the 29th of um, November also considered two of the greatest fighters of their um, season, right? So you may have recognized some of these names, and some of these you may never have heard at all. But what does it take to be a great boxer to withstand the punishment you will take? They say that boxers must have a combination of endurance, strength, agility, and speed to excel. Becoming a great boxer requires dedication to hard work. You can train on your own, but gaining a gym or joining a gym uh, will take your boxing to the next level. But if I were to ask you, where does this begin? It all begins in the head, in their thinking. A good boxer understands that he must be willing to punish himself, to push himself if he wants to develop endurance, strength, agility, and speed. He may have been born with some natural talent, but that is not enough to bring him to the finish line. 
See, we must understand this is true for us today. We may have someone trying, to, we may not have someone trying to knock our heads off, but we are in a battle nonetheless. We're in a battle that is raging in our hearts and in our head. Peter is telling his readers, okay, let's get it on. Prepare your mind for action. We read in Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 18. We see here how important it is to prepare for the battle that is to come. Paul says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil days. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes of, to your feet, having put on the readiness, uh, readiness given by the peace, the gospel of peace. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can with, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, preparing at all times and praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. If I were to ask you, what are some of the things that we could overlook here at Gateway and see it not so important and not put on? What about being faithful in our church attendance? If I were to ask you, how many times a month are you in a service, whether it is in person or online? How would you respond? Do you have a regular time in God's Word and spending time in prayer? Have you taken advantage of a Bible reading plan one like even the McShane Bible reading plan? Are you spending time with others around God's Word, such as in the men's and women's Bible study and in home group? You need the fellowship of the body, and the body needs you. A good boxer understands he cannot do this alone, and I will tell you, Neither can you. Sometimes we can be overconfident in our thinking. We might say, I don't need to do all that. Why do I need the whole armor? He says in his heart, as long as I have God's word, the sword, I'm good. But is that all you need? Paul didn't think so. He said to put on the whole armor of God. Even the beginner boxer could make the mistake by saying, why do I need to work on my endurance? As a boxer, when I have quick hands, I can just knock him out. Peter is instructing 
these believers to not leave the house unprotected mentally. He says he wants them to tighten up what is not secure in them. In our passage, he goes on to say to be sober-minded. He says you need to be in control of your thinking and your actions. If you have ever experienced interacting with an intoxicated person, you would understand that they are not sober-minded. He is not in control of his actions or his words. In fact, his action and his words are unfiltered as he says and he does the first thing that comes to mind. Or have you ever seen a child who was in a fight? As he closes his eyes and his arms are flailing around, they have their eyes closed. So they are not very effective in their fighting. They are just swinging blindly at everything. So it is with the drunkard who is unrestrained. Peter reminds them to set their hope fully on the grace that will be brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says to them, he says to them look at the target which you are headed. He says, remind, he reminds them to look forward and not backward. He says, look at the prize. He says, even though you're in ex- exile, he says, look towards the goal. He says, they may have lost homes. They may have lost family members or friends. In fact, they may have lost a business. Because, see, we don't always think about they may have lived in Rome for a very long time. In fact, they may have grown up there. They may have even been born there. But now that they have a new relationship with Christ, they are no longer what they used to be, and they are hated because of their relationship with Christ. Peter says, don't look back at what you lost. He says, look ahead. What cannot be taken from you. He says, what you have cannot be taken. It is yours forever. He says, keep looking forward. You see, even in today's, this pandemic, it is not unusual to hear someone say, I can't wait till things go back to normal. As they look back at how things were before the virus, I must admit, I have said this very same thing myself. As I couldn't wait to maybe get to a hotel and not in just enjoy myself and have someone bring food to me as I sit in a restaurant. What about those who have just become a believer in Jesus Christ? Could this be what they say as well? As they look at their life and what it was, could they say, 
life was so much easier before I came to Christ. Could we be thinking how easy life was before coming to Christ? You see, when life is hard and we are facing overwhelming things and our season of life is just so hard, we too can lose focus. But see, this is where the battle begins. It begins in our thinking. In the book of Luke, in chapter 9, in its later verses, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you everywhere, but let me take care of my family members first. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, we too need to be sober-minded as we continue on this life journey, fixing our eyes on the hope. Yes, we do understand that life can be hard and difficult. For many, this has been a very, very tough year. What will the next year bring? We do not know. In fact, it could be some of the very same thing in which we are going through presently. But we, too, must press on. One of the sports that I have been mystified by is distant running. Now, being able to push yourself to continue running mile after mile in a marathon is mind-blowing to me. For some, it is not how fast they finish the race, but they finish. They are not trying to compete with the one who just passed them by, but themselves. Our battle to preserve, to persevere lives, life within us. In recent months, we have heard others from our church say, I just want to finish and finish well, pleasing my Lord even in this season of my life. And we know some of those who have said that have had very tough seasons as they have walked through cancer, and other challenges, but they want to finish and finish well. If I were to ask you, what about you? Will you finish this race and finish well, or will you quit? We must gird up our minds. My next point, girding up your obedience. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance. But as he who calls you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, before our new life in Christ, we lived our lives to satisfy our own desires. And we were disobedient to God. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, we were living following the desires of our own flesh as the followers as followers of the prince of this world, Satan. Peter tells them this was your former life, not who you are today. He says, you were ignorant then, but you are not anymore. When we think of being conformed, it means to look like, to take on the shape of something. He says, we do not want to look like the world as we have been rescued from its allurement. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 2, and again, this is verse that I'm sure you know, but he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be, we are to do this out of obedience as children of God. As God is holy, we are also called to be holy. In fact, in Matthew 5, 48, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus put it this way. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Paul also reminds us that in Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. To be an imitator, you are to do as they do. You are to mimic them. One of the ways to become a great boxer is to study those who you want to emulate. When you think of boxers who have great skills, I often think of Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, or Roy Jones Jr., Evander Holyfield, or even George Foreman. These are all boxers that I admired as I was growing up. And I imagine we can even name others. But what is the great boxers, what do you do when you want to be like them? You conform yourself to the boxer you want to be like. You spend many hours studying their technique and their style. You study their workout routines, their eating habits, and sleeping habits. 
you try to know everything you can know about them. But we're not training to be boxers, are we? We are to emulate someone else. We are to be like God and his son. In Romans 8.29, it says, be conformed into the image of God's son. It says we are called to look like Jesus. So if I were to ask you, how are you doing? Do you look like Jesus in your conformity? Do you look like him? You see, conformity is easy when things are, when you have no opposition. And when things are going just your way. When you follow along with the crowd, life is easy. And I would tell you, just because you go to church doesn't mean that you look like Jesus. You may have just been conformed to your surroundings. We know this is true as we look at our world, as many have been conformed to the crowd. As long as you agree with the rising thought of a certain party or a group of people, you are not ostracized. You are seen as one of them. We can make the mistake of believing just because the majority believes it is right, then it must be right. Peter wants his readers to understand there is one who judges not with, with partiality, not as a group, but individually. So my question is, do you need to gird up in your obedience? My third point, girding up your conduct. Starting at verse 17, it says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter says, the one in whom you call father is also the judge. John MacArthur says, inseparably linked to believers, Obligation to respond to salvation in hope and holiness is their responsibility to honor God. You see, part of our commitment as his children, we are to live our lives to bring honor to God. As children, we have an intimate relationship with God because of the work of his son, on the cross. That is why we can call him Father. 
And we see that in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that when that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because of our sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then heir through God. Peter is stressing to these believers that even though they are in exile, they are accountable to how they live their lives to please their father. You see, it is not unusual for, the, for us today to blame one's behavior on another person indicating that because of someone else's actions, they could not resist what they did. Here we have these Christians who have seen and experienced mistreatment and loved ones persecuted, yet Peter is instructing them to to be mindful of their actions and their behavior. Over the past year in our world today, we have seen the destruction of property, the brutality of individuals who have who, um, called for justice after they have saw injustice done. They have hurt those who had no part in the injustice. Should we stand for justice? Yes. Should we persecute those who are unjust in their actions? Yes, but there's something we must understand, that we may not see justice in this world, but it will take place in the next. And we must answer the question, is that okay with us? Did you notice Peter never instructed these believers to fight back or to raise up against those who persecuted them. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul tells us what our ambition should be. He says, So whether you are at home or away, make it your aim to please him. For we must all appeal before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a good reminder for us. For it tells us that we are held accountable for everything we do here on this earth. And word and indeed. In fact, in Romans 3.23, it says, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Likewise, in Ephesians 2, verses 3, tells us that by our very nature, we are sinful. 
You see, we are not the one to administer justice because we are sinful. There's only one true righteous judge, and we leave that to him. Peter goes on to say that you were ransomed, not by something perishable like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. I think about what John the Baptist says when he first saw Jesus. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, It is the blood of Christ that was the instrument of our redemption. His blood covers our sins and gives us an inheritance that cannot be taken away. And because of this blood, you and I now have a new nature. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.27 says that we are a new creation in Christ. But how are we to live? What is our responsibility as a child of God? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through to 24, he says, put on he said, no, I'm sorry, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and its corruptions through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. He says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and have been set free from sin, having become slaves to righteousness. He says, No longer... Are you slaves to your former lives and its lusts? Although these believers are in exile, they are still responsible for their actions. You and I may also be under a great load today. As our lives are under so much stress and turmoil, you see, we too must gird up and, loose, and tighten up the things in our mind that are loose. We, too, need to be sober in our thinking. Why? So we can please our Heavenly Father out of a heart of obedience. I have just a few closing thoughts My first one is this. How are you doing in your fight for holiness? What are you doing to move in that direction? Are you like your Savior, being conformed into his image? 
do you look like Jesus? My next point, in what ways have you not been sober-minded? Again, we know from Scripture that to change our thinking means that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This world is grasping at your thinking to conform you to look like it. We, too, need to be sober-minded. Next point. What pieces of God's armor do, do you need to shore up in your life? Have you lost, left off certain parts of that armor? And if you have, Which ones? Paul tells us that we need to put on the whole armor, not just parts of it, but all of it. What does your conformity look like? Do you look like this world? Has it shaped you? molded you into its own image? Or do you look like Christ? This is where your battle will be. Will you be like your Savior? And our last point. Have you forgotten what the blood of Christ has done for you? It has given you an inheritance that cannot be taken. Do you live your life out of obedience to please the one who redeemed you? Do you look like him? Do you speak like him? Do you act like him? Can others say, I see Jesus in you? May we never forget what the blood of Christ has done for us. May we look forward to what we will have because Christ died on our behalf. May we press on towards the goal and be faithful to the one who redeemed us. Let us pray. Father, thank you again for who you are, the faithful one. That we can rejoice even when life is hard, even when life is difficult, even in the midst of our most challenging seasons. May we never forget that we're in a fight and we must press on to bring glory and honor to you. And we understand we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in this dark world. We cannot change those who persecute against us. 
We cannot change that. In fact, we cannot change the world in which we live. It is only by your grace that we are different. Help us as your people to be different, to live for you, to be faithful to you. And no matter the circumstances, may our health falls away, may our finances fall away, may we lose all that we have, but yet we stay faithful to you. May we look to the goal that is yet before us, the inheritance that is preserved specifically for us, your children who are faithful to you. We do ask for help as we are frail. And yet sometimes we are weak and sometimes we doubt. But yet you are faithful and you are just. And we can find our hope in you. And may we not forget that. May we continue to bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.